0: Welcome to the Senior Housing Investor Podcast. If you are an investor or want to be an investor in senior housing,
1: then you're in the right place. Hi, I'm John Hauber of Haven Senior Investments. We are pleased to present our newest episode, where we bring you the innovators and leaders across the full spectrum of assisted living and senior housing, all of whom provide for the betterment of our senior population. The host of our show, Pamela Pims, has a background in the industry and she will be interviewing our honored guest.
0: Hi, Pam. Hi, John. Thanks very much. It's great to be here. Today, I have the pleasure of being with John Gonzalez, the Senior Vice President, Consulting and Managed Services for Haven Senior Investments, who is our illustrious sponsor for this podcast. John is also the president of Haven Senior Living, and a little later in the podcast, we will talk about all the different components of Haven Senior Living and the different companies that they now have. But in the meantime, John, how are you? I'm doing fine, Pam. Thank you. Good. I'd I'd love it if you would tell me about yourself and and your background and, and how you got started in the senior living industry.
1: Sure, absolutely. So I uh, majored in music in college, so of course I got a job uh, in business, um, being the starving musician for a number of years. Um, But uh, I I actually got into this business because I was fired, waiting, (laughs) waiting tables in a restaurant in San Antonio, Texas. And I needed a new job and Love the honesty. Sorry, go on. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's, and uh, yeah, I looked for a new job, saw an ad in the paper for a waiter, and I said, oh, that's for me, and uh, it happened to be in a retirement community, and uh, I didn't know the difference between a retirement community or a nursing home, and so I started working there, but, uh, you know, what's, for me, most important is why I stayed in the business for 35 years. And, you know, when I was uh, much younger, I watched my grandmother pass away from Alzheimer's disease. And uh, very painful, as many people uh, experience. But at that time, there was really only one option for our family, and that was a state-run uh, skilled care facility. And 35, 36, 37 years ago, they weren't very nice. Not all of them, anyway. And the one we had uh, put grandma in was uh, full of sights and sounds and smells that I mm, felt them very uncomfortable.
0: You and everyone. They were so depressing. Yeah.
1: Yeah and uh I'm still to this day ashamed to say I didn't want to go see grandma particularly in her uh, last days and avoided it at all costs and what's interesting to me is by happenstance I started working in the industry but what kept me in the industry was was the realization that I could do something to impact that kind of environment we could create new environments and new ways of caring for our seniors that upheld their dignity and respected their their privacy none of which existed at the time i saw my grandmother decline so that really lit a fire under me and became my why i stayed in the industry and uh, 35 years later i'm sitting here um talking to Pam (laughs) and uh, really feeling good about the uh, impact that we've all been able to have um, on this industry.
0: Well, that's that's a wonderful story in terms of how you got in it. And my gosh, I bet you've seen a number of changes occur over the last three decades. Yeah. Tell me about those.
1: Pam, when I got started, CC on an email meant literally carbon copy. And I remember the paper that we actually had to use uh, the carbon copies. I mean, there have been just dramatic changes in the industry from uh, the technology side of things. But retirement communities really did start off as kind of this upscale country club-like setting. And I was fortunate enough to grow up with the industry. So I saw us as an industry start to respond to the needs and the, the desires of our clients, uh, of our residents. And as those individuals started to require more assistance, uh, bathing, dressing, grooming, meals, the industry started to respond to it. And we started to provide those types of services. All the way up to fast forward to today, where most of our environments can provide nursing services, right up to the point where someone needs skilled care. So the acuity levels in the uh, these buildings, in our buildings, has really dramatically shifted from the conception to what the reality is today. What's also interesting to me is about 15 years ago, maybe a little bit longer than that, As an industry, we decided we wanted to really put forward that country club image. And the nursing services and the care services uh, were really kind of pushed to the back in terms of what we wanted the public to perceive about us. We wanted to really put out that, hey, come on in, golf, keep your job, drive your Corvette and live with us. The reality is that the people weren't moving in for those reasons. People were moving in. Because they needed help. They had had either a traumatic event in their life, loss of a spouse, or a healthcare issue. And even though that was the reality, the marketing perception was pushed out there that we're country club. Now, what's interesting to me is that since the pandemic, The clinical portion of what we do as an industry is really front and center. And it really came to light in communities that were not ashamed of putting out the fact that we care for people, that clinical services and clinical excellence is our top priority, that resident health and safety is our top priority. Those communities that were already doing that were already way ahead of the game. Others had to pivot very quickly in terms of their their messaging and they had to put that out there. I worked with a number of uh, owners and operators and we worked on pivoting messaging. Some didn't realize how good that messaging could be and how impactful, particularly during the pandemic. So it was just a uh, dramatic uh, change for me. And, and now, of course, we have the rise of technology. Uh, a decade ago or so, there was a rush to create software systems that took a prospect from the marketing stage or the inquiry stage through resident move-in. And then we added on nursing components, service delivery software, right through to production of assessments and billing at the end of the month. And there was a lot of dust thrown up, a lot of new participants entering the market trying to fill that void. And the industry was very slow in embracing technology. We favored high touch over high tech. And uh, we were just slow to the game. It's changed now. It's like the wild, wild west all over again. (laughs) And we've got innovation and people running to the market with new tools, software, hardware, algorithms, and all designed to assist the operator in helping the resident have the best quality of life possible. So whether it's fall prevention software, air filtration systems, innovative programming. It, it, there's just this incredible rise of technology. Right now, it's stopping short of the robo caregiver, but uh, <laughs> how how far away are we from that? Probably very, very close.
0: Yeah. Wow. Well, it's, it is amazing the progress, if you will, too, uh, from the days where you didn't want to go see grandma and understandably why. And I think it's sad that some of those facilities are still in existence, but fewer and further between, thanks to everything that is happening. What would you say would be some of the biggest challenges then for, for owners and operators of senior living today? And, and how can they address those challenges too? So
1: one of the, obviously the biggest challenges that's affecting the industry today, and it affects almost every other industry, is a labor shortage. Mm-hmm. We've got a, a tremendous challenge in front of us. I participated in a survey just uh, about a month ago, and 58% of the respondents, and these are industry executives, uh, described the current challenge in terms of labor as brutal.
0: <laughs> wow.
1: Uh, and very difficult and that's echoed by almost everyone that we talk to everyone that uh, we consult with that is always at the forefront of everyone's concern Uh, it's obvious that the pandemic and the restrictions that came along with that were huge obstacles for operators having to figure out how do we deliver services in the midst of this kind of a lockdown in in retrospect it's really caused the industry to become innovative and to really put that safety and the health of the resident at the forefront of everything we do. But you know, the, a lot of operators and owners are doing things like increasing wages, and, and there's a lot of pressure on wages. But not only because of the minimum wages going up in these uh, in our major metro areas, but the ripple effect throughout the uh, the entire country is being felt. And, of course, as the minimum wage rises and you take your frontline employees, those at that level, up to those new wages, it creates a a wage compression situation where individuals that are now making the same as minimum wage are looking for more than that. So there's a trickle effect that's occurring, and it's creating a lot of additional expense, obviously operators are also incurring additional expenses because of the the importance of the clinical piece in our buildings and, and the uh, restrictions that they have. Uh, and uh, so it's been very difficult. And the combination of the two has really impacted the industry to the extent that I think it's causing us to rethink our financial models, and re- take a really hard look at our expected returns. These operating expense challenges are not going to go away. Uh, they may re- very well increase, and you know, I, I pray every day there's not a resurgence of uh, of the virus uh, because going back into a lockdown situation would be just such a negative impact on on our buildings. So I, I really do think, though, that in, in terms of the the labor, which is front and center in terms of uh, getting, hiring, you know, recruiting, hiring, and, and keeping, retaining good employees, that it's got to be more than the dollar. You can't just throw money at the problem.
0: Well, and speaking of the dollar, you said something about minimum wage. Are typical wages... For the caregivers, that of the minimum wage.
1: In a lot of um, in a lot of markets, it's very close to that. There are a number of companies that have created models that allow for operators to present wages more in line with what these folks really do. For a long time, an employee could come to work for you, service uh, your residents, doing very hard real human jobs uh, whether it's changing diapers or feeding the residents or managing their care dressing and bathing them and they could make the same amount going to McDonald's and getting a job there it, it, there's a disparity in the type of work and I'm mm. not belittling McDonald's I I love McDonald's but you know we're not we're not and haven't been historically compensating these frontline workers who are the heart of this industry.
0: Right. Here, here. I mean, what? why wouldn't they go to work at McDonald's for the same amount of money?
1: Exactly. Exactly. So that's been changing. And now we're seeing by uh, requirement, the industry starting to gravitate towards this higher wages. In addition to that, those frontline caregivers, most now Operators are looking for CNAs or CMAs, LPNs, uh, even RNs in, in our community. So those wages are obviously going to be higher. But when you talk about the frontline caregivers, I think we're starting to do a much better job of that. But again, just throwing money at the problem is not going to solve it. Uh, just bumping up your starting wage an hour or, or a dollar or a dollar fifth isn't going to do it. You've really got to create An environment that anchors your employees to it and attracts others. And that's only done, in my opinion, by creating genuine relationships between the staff, with each other, with the residents, the family members. And those genuine relationships are what anchor employees to a community. And, you know, it's interesting, this generation now the newest up and coming, they're looking for purpose in their life. You you see a rise in participation in various organizations, whether it's political activism or cultural. and, And there's a lot of youth that are running towards that. And we have to do, as an industry, a better job of showing them the purpose that uh, they can fulfill by uh, working with seniors, by preserving the knowledge that these folks have, by understanding their stories and the history, and uh, by providing them with dignity and respect. And these are all things that, as an industry, I think once you're in it, you understand the profound impact that even a frontline caregiver has on a resident and the resident's family. And we just need to do better at attracting and communicating that to potential employees, and particularly to the younger generation.
0: Yeah, it's nice to hear the younger generation has a heart to want to do something more meaningful and purposeful than maybe some of our past generations were chasing the almighty dollar. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think when you talk about the relationship between the caregiver and the resident and the families, I think sometimes that caregiver almost becomes the family for the resident. I mean, that's the closeness I think that that is established. And you know, I think if you do it right, then it's it can be a very wonderful sort of partnership with everyone.
1: Absolutely, yeah. You know, the community staff really is an extension of the resident's family and and should be. Uh, you know, it's it's fine. To kind of create the environment where it's very professional, and it's uh, you know this is you know we don't cross lines, and I'm not advocating for that. But you know there are buildings, there are communities, and companies out there that create this warm environment where you can sense the genuineness of the relationships that people have. The the culture of the building is tangible. I've walked into thousands of communities, independent, assisted, and memory care, and there is a a really dramatic difference in the feeling you get when you walk in, the warmth or the coldness, uh, the, 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 you know, the reception you receive, the, the way folks are interacting with each other, uh, residents with other residents and staff. And so that kind of family culture is something that I think is critical in, 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 this, uh, in this industry. I know that when I get to a point of needing something or at this point my parents uh, are reaching that, that point, I want to make sure that where I put mom, where we put mom, is somewhere that's warm and friendly and that she does have genuine relationships with the people that not only live there but work there.
0: Mm -hmm. No doubt about it. Mm -hmm. You've you've touched on this briefly, but do you think that the pandemic has greatly affected the industry?
1: Yes, I, I think it's been profound. Sea changes typically happen over in various industries over a span of years, five or ten, going from a cassette uh, to a CD to streaming. These are just big sea changes to industries. We've had a sea change in our industry that was compressed in the span of twelve months.
0: Mm.
1: So we had to pivot on a number of fronts, and most importantly on the the health and safety of the residents and how we manage through that but also in terms of marketing and sales. So, you know, the importance of online presence and and websites and sewing together a cohesive message via your online presence, positive online reviews, even virtual touring. We were working with a, uh, an ownership group that uh, they were doing virtual touring because people weren't coming into the building. And so they were just using their cell phones. And it was kind of like, being on the Blair Witch Project because it was so <laughs> shaky and moving all around. And it was, you know, I was getting nauseous <laughs> just following the, the marketing director. Oh, So, you know, little things, you know, let's buy a stabilizer, you know, let, let's invest in small little things that will allow us to pivot more effectively, communicate our message, even in the middle of a pandemic, reach people we need to reach and, and let them know this is a safe place. Um, so,
0: well, especially, I was going to say, especially in a place where health is paramount to begin with. With.
1: Correct. Correct. Absolutely. You, you know, what's interesting about what you just said, Pam, about the health being paramount, one of the the interesting effects of the pandemic has been um, what I call PPSD, post-pandemic stress disorder. <laughs> and since the, you know, basically the waning of the pandemic I've talked to a lot of operators who are seeing really good staff members just kind of reach that burnout phase. Uh, We just lost uh, one of our clients, just lost a a terrific executive director. She had just burnt out, and a lot of these folks had lived through the pandemic, most of them have, all of them have, and had really served the residents, gone above and beyond, many of them pulling double shifts because uh, folks were sick, and they just lived through this, trial, and they've come out on the other side. Uh, I can't tell you how many EDs, executive directors I've spoken to have said, I feel like I'm a counselor. I'm talking to folks about their stress and anxiety, great staff members that have kind of, they were just my right-hand person and they're burnt out now. And, you know, like I said, I pray every day we don't have a resurgence because uh, this is going to emerge if it continues as a real problem that's only going to exacerbate the problems that we already have with the labor.
0: You're exactly right. And unfortunately, it isn't limited really to just senior housing. I'm reading articles all the time about people not returning to work or reassessing what they're doing with their time and their lives. I think we're going to see a big shift in the workplace. Period. Mm-hmm. But above all, you know, we really need to get it right, you know, in our senior communities. I mean, th- this is where it's just so very important. I mean, do, do you think that the industry will return to to normal and if it does, would you describe normal and, and what might the new normal look like? I know these are hard questions, but throwing a a matcha, John.
1: <laughs> Absolutely, no. I, you know they're 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 very profound questions, and the answers uh, are important enough for us all to to have a candid and open discussion about. During the pandemic, there was a lot of. You know, as an industry, we tend to be very protective of our ability to innovate and uh, the freedom that we have because of a limited amount of regulations as opposed to skilled care environments. But that kind of uh, protection that we build around us, uh, it can also be detrimental to us. And during the pandemic, there was a lack of information being shared between different organizations, between communities. And I think everyone was afraid to basically say ah we're being affected like this oh my gosh we can't get staff because i had two members go out sicker uh yes our move-ins have slowed down our occupancy has dropped and the reality is now we know looking back that occupancy across the spectrum in senior housing is down somewhere between 10 and 12 percent
0: that much wow
1: yeah, as as a result uh, of the slowdown in move-ins, mm-hmm. um, it, it, it's it, and it's just you know to be dra- very transparent with each other was was difficult during that period of time. Anyone that's tried to do a competition study and, and has gone into different uh, communities to try and get information on occupancy and and uh, you know how how is your acuity level how is it with staffing you, you typically bump into that that protective barrier but the pandemic has forced us to kind of push that through and I'm glad that we're seeing the other side of it now where communities are sharing more with each other best practices about how to deal with this and the reality that. Um, our occupancy did take a hit. Uh, the new normal, because the old normal has gone. And I, I think it's akin to saying, well, we're going to stop streaming music and go back to CD tapes. <laughs> <laughs> mm hmm. The new normal is gone. And and what the new normal will look like, in my opinion, is a reassessment of the um, financial returns on on this type of property.
0: Which, Not to cut you off, excuse me for interrupting you, um, save your thought on that. But can you speak for just a little bit on when you talk about the financial returns, what they classically have been? Uh, in this space to what you see they should be going to.
1: Sure. Sure. So you know what's interesting is the um, operating margins for various types of product and senior living vary. So you have much higher operating margins in dependent living communities, typically fifty percent or above. Mm-hmm. Your operating margins for assisted living, uh, you know, really sharp assisted living is going to be in the in the high thirties to forty Th- percent. Those are you know running optimally, but they range from thirty five, to uh, you know, maybe forty percent, some lower. Mm-hmm.
0: It's an amazing margin,
1: <laughs> but yeah, and, and then you know, in terms of memory care, the margin goes down, but the the revenue goes up. So you're getting a smaller piece of a bigger pie because the, those charges tend to be significantly higher than assisted living and, and independent. Um, so you know, it 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 kind of there's a spectrum, and they kind of go up along with the or down along with the the acuity level. Higher the acuity, the lower the margin, but. You know, what's happening right now, I think, as an industry, is we're trying to get get our footing right now. We kind of come through the the pandemic, and we're trying to find out what that new normal looks and sounds like. It's difficult to articulate because we're still trying to figure it out. But one thing I do see happening is a rise of technology to assist the industry with the shortage in labor, uh, to assist the industry and how to create uh you know different environments or or cleaner environments using uv lighting or uh, air uh, air filtration systems A- and then some of the really unique and innovative things that are out there are our company haven uh senior Learning technologies is uh knows all of the the systems the latest and the greatest and they're just terrific at uh, pointing to best practices and best products. And like I said earlier, this is kind of the wild, wild west. There's a lot of new stuff coming online. So I think the advent of expansion of technology in our communities is a foregone conclusion. And there are a lot of them that have already, a lot of operators and owners that have already embraced that and are moving towards it. And that's going to change the look of the building a little bit. But one thing that won't change is still the need to create those genuine relationships. That That high tech doesn't uh, dilute the high touch, it just needs to be uh, implemented in tandem with the two, and you have to find that balance that equity between the two
0: It'll be interesting to see how that unfolds um and I want to thank you for sharing you know some of the the margin numbers only because when you look at all the asset classes of real estate you know retail office industrial whatever and and senior housing oh in the past several years has been given the same sort of clout as an asset class, whereas before it, it it wasn't even mentioned. But when you look at it and you look at the returns on it, <laughs> it's mm-hmm. really so much higher mm-hmm. than the mm-hmm. other ones. So I think you're right. There is room here to adjust. And I think investors in particular should say, you know, l- let's look at what this this asset class really provides in returns Can we keep them through the technology without losing Mm -hmm. the cost of the touch or, or, you know, just the meaning and purpose behind why you're in this business. You can't just cut staff or whatever, like you can in some, some of the other arenas. Agreed. But, um, I love, I love what you're saying and the positive outlook you have on it, um, you, you had mentioned earlier just about the culture of a building, and mm-hmm. I, I hear you loud and clear. It reminds me a little bit of, um, I don't know, maybe when you were in college, I don't know if you ever went through Rush, and you'd go into these different mm-hmm. sorority or fraternity houses, and each one had such a different feel. Mm-hmm. And I, I when I was in the business of senior living, too, I would feel that walking into a community, just the culture. Anyway, can you expound on that a little bit?
1: Sure. Sure. You know, I was talking to, um, a number of years ago to uh, another senior living executive for a very large publicly traded company, and I was we were just talking about culture and a difference between the company I was with and who he was with. And I said, so tell me about your culture. And he starts talking about basically the brochure talking points, and I said, but what does it really look like? How, how do you measure it? And he started to kind of give me this um, description of this uh, uh, fog that kind of falls over a building and it's gaseous and it's moving. And I, I'm trying to figure out specifically how do you measure your culture to, and what, what what evidence do you have? And you can point towards things like uh, your return and uh, that kind of thing. but. Culture is tangible. Culture is something that you hear in the hallways, whether it's a conversation between staff or a conversation between a staff member and a resident. It's a conversation that you may overhear when you walk into a building with the receptionist on the phone. Is she on a personal call? Is there someone in the office that's talking about the time clock and there's a missed punch and, oh my gosh, it's going to be a problem. It's whether or not the staff recognize residents by name and and understand their story, that, that they've really connected with this resident. And their outputs of culture are, you can measure in terms of family and resident satisfaction scores. I'm just an adamant proponent that it will result in bottom lines in healthy returns if you can create this culture and what's surprising to me is surprising is that so many companies don't prioritize that one example that haven brings to the table for many of our clients is we're able to provide them and their staff with training on emotional intelligence and it's an interesting part of culture Being able to uh, give your staff the ability to understand why someone's coming at you and what that emotion is, why they're feeling that emotion, and more importantly, how you respond to it. I did a, we uh, conducted some training uh, with some nurses for our industry, but 90 people in the room, and I'm not a nurse, I'm not a clinical person, so I'm a little intimidated to begin with, and I'm doing training on emotional intelligence. I asked this room of about 90 folks, how many of you ever had a training on emotional intelligence? And about four people raised their hand. I thought, isn't that interesting that here we are as an industry dealing with emotion, Every day, you've got residents that are despondent and depressed and residents that are grieving. Um, You've got family members that are upset and maybe yelling at you because something went wrong with mom, whether it's because of anything you did or not. And I asked them, how many of you ever experience emotion on a daily basis? And there wasn't a single hand that didn't go up. So that kind of skill, that kind of gift that I believe we can give to our employees in this industry is is Just immeasurably valuable. And it's also training in terms of culture. It's something that if you do it right, you're giving the employees not only skill set to use in their work life, but these are tools that they can use in their personal life as well. So I'm a a huge proponent of of that kind of training.
0: I could not agree with you more. (laughs) I think it's (laughs) great. All right. So now we're at the point where I want to ask you what makes Haven Senior Living Unique, what services do you provide that other consulting or management companies don't?
1: You know, we've really become a one-stop, very comprehensive uh, company in terms of servicing clients. We've responded to the needs that we hear from the clients. Uh, we started off as a real estate transaction company primarily, and we've kind of grown. We've got different arms now. You've mentioned earlier Haven Senior Living, and Haven Se- Senior Living is a, a, an output of Haven uh, Senior Investments. So no, I, I got to get that right. There's a lot of Haven stuff. Going <laughs> there's there. a lot of uh, Haven, right? <laughs> we got yeah, There's Haven Technologies. We've got Haven Senior Living, Haven Senior Investments. So we've got a, a lot of different arms that have been put into place in order to address the needs and the desires of. The clients that we're serving haven senior living primarily is involved in providing consulting services asset management and even third-party managed services for owners and operators we have a different approach in in that regard uh, in that we advocate for the owner i was in third-party management companies for literally for decades mm. and i saw the inside of what that looks like and the owners that we serve are typically smaller not you know huge players and aligning with a larger third-party manager I'm sorry but the the, the honest truth is that you're not going to get the services you're not the biggest dog in the room and so you're not going to get the most attention and I, I really had a distaste for that uh, for years and when I left that corporate environment. I wanted to be a part of an organization that advocated for the owner, that looked at the owner as the client, not just the, the the operator or the residents and the staff, all of whom are people we serve. But the owner always seemed to get the short shrift. And so uh, one of the things that we do is we advocate on behalf of the owner, whether there's a third-party operator in place or not. Uh, we can come in and provide those consulting services. But you, your question specifically what makes Haven different, this is my favorite thing to tell people, you know, we're a faith-based company and, and we don't hide hide that. It's front and center about what we do. Uh, we don't discriminate in any, any way, shape or form. All faiths are welcome either to be part of the company or to be a client of the company, but we are faith-based. And to me, what that means is that when you we do business for someone, we're literally serving God by serving them. We we're not going to give uh, anyone short shrift. We're not going to be anything less than honest in, in the highest degree of integrity, highest degree of ethics. I have never been part of an organization that lives that out to the degree that Haven does. We we uh, we just love it. We're, we're excited to serve people. We, we always are looking out for the best interest of our clients. And it's not just because we're great people. It's because we know that we serve a God that tells us to do this. And, and so when we're serving our clients, we're really doing it with that greater purpose in mind. And it's why I'm part of the organization. It's why I'm talking with you right now.
0: Well, that certainly explains it. <laughs> and that's a, that's a lovely thing. Uh, I know you have all the different sectors and that you come at each of them with the same sort of love and caring and faith. So that's lovely. We're just about out of time, and I'm just curious if there's anything I haven't asked you that you'd like me to ask you, or anything else you'd like to mention before we sign off.
1: You know, our industry is really going through uh, some changes now, and what I can, I think, what I would like everyone to understand is that this is going, we are going to come out on a new normal in a new normal. This is such a phenomenal industry. This is such a phenomenal product, uh, and people that are involved in doing it, they are heroes. They're out there on the front lines providing these services. And, you know, we're in the business of serving them and serving those that that serve them, and it's just such a profound difference between where we started. You know, where I started with uh, watching my grandmom in that environment. To where we are today where the emphasis is on quality of life and the realization that your life doesn't end because you turn 80 or even 90 or, or older that you still can learn you still can grow you still can be a part of, of, of cu- the culture and the sci- society, you have a lot to give. And I love that our industry has embraced that realization and these environments uh, are just so dramatically different than they used to be and I'm just thrilled to be a part of it. Um, and everyone should be. <laughs>
0: I'll say amen to that. <laughs> and I will thank you so much for your time today. It's been such a pleasure learning about what Haven does and, and what you do. Your thoughts about the industry are are very insightful. And um, if people want to find you all to, to have you help them, what's the best way, John, for them to do that?
1: Sure, sure. So our website, uh, havenseniorinvestments.com, and from that website, you'll find access to all of the other components of Haven that I mentioned. And everything we talked about, uh, we have folks that are experienced, we bring a great amount of expertise and we can assist anybody with those types of issues.
0: Well, that I know you can. I've heard wonderful, wonderful things about your company. So anyway, thanks for giving me your time today.
1: Thank you, Pam, appreciate it.
0: All right, talk later. Bye-bye. Bye now. Thanks for joining us today. This podcast is brought to you by Haven Senior Investments. Haven Senior Investments is the leading faith-based senior housing advisory firm focused on providing their clients with the knowledge and expertise necessary to support their goals of buying, selling, developing, investing, or operating in the senior housing market. They can be found at havenseniorinvestments.com.